And our gospel reading this morning comes from Mark, um, chapter 1. And we can go to verse 12 today. If you'd like to follow along in your pew Bible, you may. It's on page 34 in the New Testament section. On this Baptism of the Lord Sunday, we begin. On this new year, too, we begin. Where Jesus began Jesus' ministry. I invite you now to listen to God's word. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from the heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beast, and the angels waited on him. Friends, the word of our Lord. <clears throat> Thanks be to God. President Calvin Coolidge was known as a man of few words. They said that he could be silent in five languages. And when Dorothy Parker heard in 1933 that Coolidge had just died, she inquired, how, did they, how could they tell? And though he uttered few words, he knew the importance of them, making each word matter. And there's a story of a young woman said to him, Mr. President, my daddy, uh, bet that I could get... If I could get more than two words out of you, he would buy me a gold watch. There's a long pause. After which, President Coolidge, without looking at her, replied, You lose. Mark, the gospel writer, was also a man of few words. The gospel of Mark is the shortest of all four gospels. And it's telling of Jesus' baptism, which all four gospels tell. Mark describes it in three short sentences. Being a man of few words, Mark also knows that words matter. This is evident how he described heaven on the day that Jesus was baptized. In the Gospel of John, John says the Holy Spirit descended from heaven. In Matthew and Luke's Gospel, they say the, the same thing in regards to the Holy Spirit, but they emphasize that on the day that Jesus was baptized, the heavens were opened. Mark, like the other, acknowledged the Holy Spirit coming down like a dove. But Mark writes that when Jesus was coming up out of the waters, the heavens were torn apart. Words matter. There's a difference between open and torn. And in talking about this passage, a friend of mine, Christy, gave these analogies. If I open something, then most often I can close it. If I open the door and then close it, you may never know that the door was open. But if I tear down the door, that's a different story. When I used to travel, 
a lot for work, at least like twice a year. My pants pocket would be open too much, and so I would go and I would sit down on the plane, and there the arm chest, arm railing would, would catch my pocket and tear my pants down the seam there. And no matter how good the seamstress was, the pants never looked the same. I can always see that tear. If I open this letter and then close it, you may never know that I opened it. If I tear it open, no matter how crafty I am with tape, it will never cover up the fringes of those ripped lines. This letter will never be the same again. The heavens were torn apart. Words matter. The citizens of Ukraine, Israel and Palestine know what it feels like to be torn apart. Ukrainian officials estimate that over 300,000 Ukrainian children have been torn from their country by Russia. On October 7th alone, 40 Israel children were torn from their families by Hamas. Since October 7th, one child in Gaza has been killed every ten, on every 10 minutes on average, being torn from their families. The United States is not isolated as such tears. North Carolina ranks in the top 10 when it comes to human trafficking. On Thursday, our families had to deal with their child being torn from them after another school shooting. Anxiety, loneliness, job losses, addictions, diseases often lead to families and friends being torn apart, not to mention the political fighting within our own country. No matter what we do, it continues to tear us apart. No one in this room has been immune to a work environment or family situation or a circle of friends, being torn apart from one another, from one issue or another. And we all know that no matter what the outcome is, things are never the same. What I found interesting, anytime this happens, are the words that our society likes to use. We say things like, we're better than this. This is not who we are. Words matter. The truth is, these may be well-intended words, but they're misguided truths. As hard as it may be for us to hear, the biblical truth is that we are not better than this. Whether it be the riots on January 6th, three years ago, or the internal political fighting that we cannot get rid of, or that war in Gaza, or any other tragedy in the year 2023. These events are not due to one person or one election cycle. These events took decades to cultivate, and perhaps has been cultivating since the very beginning of time. When Adam and Eve, along with you and me, began to believe that God's kingdom was not good enough, and we thought that we could make God's kingdom better. And ever since then, we've been separated from God and from one another. And ever since then, we can be yearning to go back home. And however it seems, the more we try to hide those torn fridges, 
that separate us, it appears the more we try to hide them, the more detached we become. But the good news of the Bible is, is that God also yearns for our reconciliation. God yearns to be with us. And God yearns for us to be with one another so much so that God tore open the heavens. Not to seek havoc, not to seek damage, but to seek grace, to seek mercy. For the sole purpose to be with us. And thank goodness that God tore open the heavens. Because ever since that day of Jesus' baptism, this world has never been the same. Her name was Kate. Kate was a friend of mine, um, a friend of mine, and part of a friend of mine's youth group. And just a few weeks after my friend started as a youth group leader, Kate was rushed to the hospital due to a failed suicide attempt. A few days later, Kate confessed to her mother that she had been enduring abuse. Unbeknownst to the family, Kate's life was being torn apart. Kate ended up this, in a treatment program. A therapy center that could help her first unpack all the trauma she has dealt with and second begin to heal her. During that time, the church formed a small care team, a team made up of Kate's confirmation mentor, Kate's childhood Sunday school teacher, and Kate's pew buddy, Mr. Franklin, an aged man who had shared a pew with Kate's family her entire life long. Along with a few others, each week, every single week, Kate was in treatment. This team took turns writing Kate a letter. After letter, after letter, words matter. After Kate was diagnosed, she confided with my friend, her youth leader, that there were days and weeks at the beginning of that treatment where she was convinced that no matter what, she felt she'll never be good again. But the scars, the tears on her body, would be the first thing that she always saw. The tears would be the very first thing that anyone else ever saw. The church kept writing letters. Week after week after week. The letters that told her that she was not alone. Letters that told her that they were not giving up on her. Letters that said to her that she was a child of God. Her name was beloved. And the God, along with that whole church, was very well pleased with her. What they told Kate over and over and over and over and over again. Kate, remember your baptism. And whether it's Kate's baptism or your baptism or mine or Jesus's. First and foremost, our baptism reminds us of God's activity in our lives, of God's activity of reconciliation. This is why we baptize infants. This is why babies have done nothing really particularly for or against God at all. Infants remind us that we can really, all we can really do is receive God's love with gratitude and then try to live the rest of our lives in reconciliation. Second, our baptism does not stop us from encountering toughness in life. Our baptism reminds us that. And all the terrors that come along with these storms. But instead, our baptism says, I'll, the baptism never says, I'll take that away from me. What our baptism says, I'll prepare you for it. 
Notice the first place that God takes Jesus after Jesus was baptized into the wilderness to face one temptation after another. Not alone, though, it says. But the angels waited on him. If we keep reading in Mark, not too long after Jesus comes out of the wilderness, Jesus calls 12 disciples, and together the first thing they encounter is a storm. This time it's the disciples that must make the decision as they row and row and row trying to fight that storm. Do they try to muscle through this storm on their own, or do they call on Jesus to wait on them? They keep rowing and rowing and rowing and rowing. It's in their weakness that their eyes are opened. The very need of a Savior. Nothing more stands in our way of knowing our need of a Savior more than our very own strength. I think it's our weakness. We come then to understand that the question of our baptism is asking us. The baptism asks you and me. Where does your loyalty lie? In your own strength? Our country? Our family? Our individualism? Or in God? If we choose God, that means in order to have the strength to get through the storm of our world being torn apart from one another, or any other storm for that matter, our weakness opens up God's definition of strength. A strength that is not coercive, a strength that's not domineering or prideful or self-seeking. It's a strength that rather shows compassion and sacrifice and empathy. It's through God's strength that we become God's agent of reconciliation. Baptism. <clears throat> Baptism gives us our identity as a child of God, which all starts with God tearing open the heavens with one purpose, to bring us together with God and one another. I don't have to tell you, but 2024 is an election year. And from the start of this year already, uh, just like recent campaigns, there are going to be so many words coming our way. Words telling us of who we are and words telling us who we are not. No matter your pain, no matter how lost we feel, no matter our preoccupation, our worries, no matter how tired we are trying to live up to the presumption of that we have it all together, no matter our backgrounds, our credentials, our successes, our failures, no matter what we can't find or can't remember. No matter how much we fear this world is being torn apart. <coughs> remember your baptism. That God chooses to be with you in the person of Jesus Christ, our Savior, the Word of God. Words matter. And the most important words that you will hear 
throughout this year, and every other year for that matter, are those very powerful words that God says to you and to me, as those heavens are being torn apart. You are my child. You are beloved. With you, I am well pleased. 